Amen. Well, one of the things that don't last forever is summer. It's hard to believe that we're at Labor Day weekend, the unofficial end of summer vacation. As you look around the stage this morning, you probably recognize the fact that some things are going to change. This time of the year is just about the end of when we fold up the tent, put it away. Golf clubs get put into the garage. Beast chairs get folded up and put away. I love fall, but I love summer. And it's hard to believe that this time of the year, this has come to an end. And one of the things that I'll probably miss the most, knowing that fall is coming and winter is just around the corner, is this. Hard to believe that just in a few short weeks, this is going to come to an end. Now, I know you're asking yourself, did the elders know about this? (laughs) No, it's a whole lot better. Then they don't have to deny it. One of the things that are the most frustrating to me about this time of the year is that so many of the things that I love to do and so many of the things that a lot of us love to do start to come to an end. You look around the stage this morning, you see a lot of the things that represent what a lot of families do on summer vacation. And no matter how many more weeks we get, knowing that winter is just around the corner, we all know that those things are coming to an end. We had a lot of fun this summer. I know many of you did as well. We had the opportunity to spend some time in those two weeks that we were off with our grandchildren. Took them to things that that we normally don't do. And I'm sure some of you who are now raising your grandchildren are doing some things with them that maybe you didn't have time to do when your kids were young. And hopefully now as a grandparent, you have the time to have a lot of fun and a lot of activities. We took them to the Tour Ed Mine down to Route 28, all the way down under an old mine. Never had seen it, didn't even know it was there for the last 16 years that I've been living here. Took them to the Pittsburgh Zoo. We had a blast with our grandkids. And those of you who I know your family is gone and you don't think much about family vacation, now have the opportunity to invest in the next generation. And some of these grandchildren that you're now putting some time and energy into are going to remember some of the things you're doing with them forever. I also want to ask you grandparents one quick question. Did you know it was going to wear you out so much? I mean, I now know why we have kids when we're young. Because I'm telling you, I get exhausted by the time it's all over. My wife said, I'm telling you, the Old Testament story of Abraham and Isaac, if Abraham would have come to Me, she said, and I was Sarah at 99 years old, and to say I was to have a child, I'd say, you're out of your mind. Promise or no promise, we're not doing it. (laughs) They wear you out. One of the things that I heard a long time ago that I didn't think so much about until now I'm spending some time with my grandchildren and exhausted when it's all over is this little poem that goes like this. I've seen the lights of London, I've seen the lights of Rome. The lights I like the most of all are the grandkids going home. A lot of others of you who are raising children have done a lot of fun things, and I hope this summer you did some things that they'll remember for a long time to come. There are a lot of people that do fishing, and I know you who are parents usually put that aside so that you can teach your kids how to do it, and you put your hobby away for a while. A lot of people do camping. It's one of the things that we enjoy the most, sitting around the campfire, a couple of pictures of Ted and his family this summer going on vacation and spending some time at a cabin, just being with family. 
and being with friends. We've had more wonderful conversations around a campfire than almost anything we've ever done as a family. I've taken my kids to Disney World, Disneyland, and Epcot Village. We've had more fun in a mountain shack on stilts with an outhouse in Emporium, Pennsylvania, around a campfire than any other thing we've ever done. Had I known that, I'd have never spent as much money on those other things. We just had a lot of campfires in the backyard. A lot of other people spend time on the beach, spending time with their kids, building things on the beach that you didn't do when you were a kid, but spending some time, quality time, a lot of you golf, frisbee golf, a lot of things you do with your family and friends. On my summer vacation, I really did. I packed up the Harley, (coughs) and I enjoyed the beauty of this land that God has given us. I spent some time exploring the northern part of Pennsylvania, just seeing some of the most beautiful land I've ever seen, some roads that I'd never been on, seeing the wonders of God's creation on a two-day experience when I only had two two days when there was no rain coming and just took off, didn't know where I was going to go and where I was going to end up. One of the things, obviously, when you do those southern tours, you've got to end up not only exploring the wilds of Pennsylvania, but the wilds of West Virginia. And then when you get there, that's Cabela's. You go to West Virginia, you got to go to Cabela's, right? There are so many wonderful things that God has given us to enjoy. And so many wonderful things that I'm sure as a family, you had to experience during the summer vacation at one point or the other. But one thing I've got to believe, no matter how much diversity is in this room this morning, whether you camped or fished or whether you golfed, whether you took some time to the beach, one thing I've got to believe that every single one of us experienced at some point or the other during our summer experience was what? Seriously, every single where we went, we've got delayed. I'm talking Mount Chestnut. How long does it take to do a bridge? (laughs) I said to the PennDOT guy, look, I'm borrowing this barrel, and I'm just telling you what I'm going to do with it, so I hope you're okay with it. He said, I won't be there that weekend, trust me. (laughs) This morning, I want you to take your sermon notes out of your bulletin. As we finish our summer series on family family relationships, and marriage. We haven't had sermon notes for a while, and I wanted to share these with you this morning so that you could take some things home and remember what it is that God has done for us and taught us. There's a great book that I have on marriage that I talked about last Sunday morning called Love and Respect, and I have the author in there this morning. I think it's one of the best that have ever been written out of Ephesians chapter 5 to help us understand what it means to really love our wives like Christ loved the church, and what it means for a wife to respect her husband. And Dr. Emerson puts it together in ways that I'd never seen before, but I think are absolutely powerful insights on this incredible relationship that over 70 to 80% of us experience at one point or the other called marriage. You and I both know that family experiences and family relationships can bring to us some of the greatest joys of our life, some of the most wonderful memories of life, center around family and family relationships. But you also know that they too bring some of the greatest disappointments, heartache and pain. Hopefully some of the greatest memories of your life center around family and summer vacation can be one of the best times to do that. When the children of Israel were about to walk into the promised land, they were being led at this point after Moses by a man named Joshua. As they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, Joshua said, man, I want you to go back and take out some stones from the river. Simple, ordinary stones that all of us had seen at one point or the other at the bottom of a river. He said, I want you to set them up and I want you to 
put them in a place so that every time you see them, you'll remember what I've done. And every time your children look at these memorial stones, they'll say, Mom, Dad, what do these stones represent? What do these stones symbolize? And you'll be able to say to them, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the amazing things that God has done in our life. I hope you've had some memorial stones in your family, some things that you've done that your kids will always look back on. And they'll see how God's intervened or how God's answered or how God's blessed or how God has painted and designed this incredible universe that he has given us. I still remember Billy saying to me one Sunday after being down at the beach and seeing this unbelievable sunset that God painted, looking at the lady that was down the beach beside him and saying, my father did that. And it gave an opportunity for him to share with her what God is all about and what God does. Moses said to the children of Israel, I want you to be very careful that you watch yourselves and understand all that I've done for you. I want you to pass them along. I want you to teach them to the next generation. (coughs) I want you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These commandments that I give you this day, I want you to impress them on your children. I want you to talk about them when you're at home, when you're walking along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Unfortunately, they didn't do that. If you read the book of Judges, and I'm not sure if it's in your sermon notes this morning, But write down Judges chapter 2, and and you'll see what happened when the generation that Moses was giving this commandment to failed to do that. And by the third generation, they not only didn't know about God, they didn't even know who God was. It's incredibly important, even in our media-saturated day, to make sure that we verbally communicate to our kids the goodness and grace of God. One of the only ways to obviously share anything about God's grace and goodness was verbiage in the Old Testament. Very little handwritten, very little was ever passed along in a handwritten form, let alone all the gadgets and gadgets we have today. But even with all of that technology and all the things that we have in front of us, one of the best things you can do for your family is just verbally pass on to them the goodness and grace of God. And when you fail to do that, you're not setting them up for all that they're going to adore in the next generation. Moses said, please make sure you not only impress it on them, but you talk about it regularly. When you lie down, when you rise up, when you're walking along the road, you see the hand of God, tell them that. By the third generation in Judges chapter 2, they not only didn't know God, they didn't even know who he was. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gave a very well-stated, well-written phrase that all of us at one point or the other, growing up, especially in the church, had talked about the wise man building his house on a solid foundation. Talk about what happens when the rain comes down and the floods rise up and how it washes away if it's not built on a solid foundation, if it's only in sand. Jesus said a wise man, a wise individual, a wise parent builds their home on a very solid foundation. This morning I want to give you just some building blocks for that foundation. Five that I'm sure maybe you've heard before. Five that I want to share with you this morning. And I hope that during this season that, that you'll take the time over the next few weeks as things begin to unwind and all this stuff gets put away winter sets on us and we spend some time reminiscing and rehearsing back that you will have already built into your family so that you're preparing them for what they're about to face and continuing to prepare the next generations for what it is that they'll endure. Number one, I'm sure you've heard before, is conversation or communication. Still to me, one of the most key building blocks of any family relationship, even with all the communication technology that we have today, is visible verbal communication and conversation. 
When Ted Bear was here a number of weeks ago, and I have a slip about what he shared that morning in your sermon notes as well, he reminded us again how few moments per day, on average in the research we did this week, 18 hours per month is the amount of time parents spend with children talking to them and sharing with them about what's going on. Not just simply events. Did you do your homework? Are you going to school? Is your lunch packed? Don't forget this tomorrow. When are you coming home from soccer practice? I mean regular conversation, communication. A sixth grade teacher in California for a creative writing assignment years ago began a statement and asked the kids to fill it out, simply said, I wish. Assuming when she got the response back, it would be, I wish I had a bike, I wish I had my own TV, I wish my parents would let me have my own cell phone. Instead, 20 out of the 30 responses she got back in a sixth grade class all had to do is, I wish my family had better relationships. 20 out of 30 had to do with the family being better. Moses said, take every single opportunity you have to talk to your kids about God. Impress it on them. Talk about it at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. You know in a marriage, in your sermon notes this morning, that you and I listen and talk just as much with your eyes as with your mouth and your nose, or your ears. You and I talk and listen just as much with our eyes as with our ears and our mouth. Most people assume that as long as they hear the words coming out, and as long as I've got two ears on my head, they're going to hear what it is that I've said. You and I both know the best conversation in a marital relationship is how I have a conversation with my eyes, and that I listen with my eyes. I really want to hear what it is that you have to say. I'm very interested in who you are. The thing that distracts us the most is the technology around us. As opposed to listening with my eyes, I'm listening to the volume of things that are being said in the room that I'm in. 55% of parents who were surveyed said that most of the time we spend our time of catching up with one another around the television set. You're not listening with your eyes at that point. You're not hearing what it is that they have to say. You're not interested in what they do. You know in a marriage, you don't want to talk to your spouse through the television set or at a commercial or through the radio or through the uh, uh, newspaper. You want to see, you want to know that they're interested in what it is that you have to say. A few weeks ago when Dr. Bear was here, he gave us a wonderful presentation on media and there were five things that were so fast at the end of that, I asked him if I could have the notes and I put them in your sermon notes this morning about some of the things, that, uh, a great starting point or some wonderful conversation with your kids about one of the things they'll spend thousands of hours doing. Being able to know that you understand the influence of the entertainment media. Years and years ago, one of our friends who were missionaries went out to the field for the very first time. Their oldest son, Josiah, Lubna, who you've seen before here, was getting to that stage where kids see everything on TV and by the end of the holiday season before Christmas ever rolls around, they've already got a list of things they want to do. When they went to the mission field for the very first time in in Ivory Coast, they had no media at all and certainly no television. When it came time for Christmas, his mom said to him, Josiah, what do you want for Christmas? He said, I have absolutely no idea. And it was simply because he hadn't seen anything advertised. Please understand the influence that it has on your life. Understand your child's stage of development, where they are and what they can handle. Understand the grammar of the entertainment media Specifically, number four, understand your own moral, spiritual values and teach them to your children. What are the boundaries that you've established in your family? What are the boundaries of things they cannot do or can do? What are the boundaries of what they can watch and what they cannot watch? 
What parameters have you established in your family? Not just simply because everyone's doing it or everyone's seen it or it's advertised all the time. What is it in your family we have said, this is what we're okay with, this is not what we're okay with. This is what we permit. They may not understand it. They certainly may not like it. But what within the context of your family have you put boundaries around? Understanding that it comes specifically in a few moments from you. And understand some of the answers. Those of you who have iPhones, and most of us do, I don't, but most of us do, there's an iPhone app literally on iTunes for Movie Guide. And it gives a great guideline to be able to walk through of any media that's coming out, any movie especially, help you to understand how to have a conversation with your kids about that. Secondly, it's just simply spend time together. Spend time together. Summer and fall are some of the best times in Pennsylvania to do family events. I love this state. I know winter's coming, and I hate that thought. But I love this state with all of its diversity. It's one of the most beautiful, no matter where I go, when I tell people I'm from Pennsylvania, they don't talk about our winter. They talk about our weather and all the diversity that we have in this great state. Hiking, bike rides, camping with your kids, building some solid memories so that they can have that. Years ago, University of California tested fifth and sixth graders to determine what was the cause of the highest degree of sadness, anxiety, or depression. Of the top three answers, one of the top three was we just don't have parents spend enough time with us. Number three, be a positive role model. Be a positive role model. There was a small book years and years ago. I looked for it on my shelf, and I haven't been able to find it in these last couple of days, called Distorted Images of God. What was fascinating about the book was that it talks so much about the fact that so many equate their perceptions of the Heavenly Father based on what they see in their earthly father. So many people have developed their perceptions about the Heavenly Father that we haven't seen, even though we see him all over Scripture and we see him every day in the sky around us. So many people develop their perception about the Heavenly Father based on what they've seen in their earthly father. I don't know about you as a dad, but that weighs heavily on me constantly. Knowing that when I talk to my kids about the Heavenly Father, I hear them use that phrase when I know they're praying, is that they have a healthy perspective of what the Heavenly Father is all about based on what they've seen in earthly relationships. Top three answers that most dads give when they want to spend time or the kids want to spend time with them is, I'm too tired, we don't have enough money, I don't want to talk about it now. And remember, very hard to talk to your kids about drugs when you smoke. It's very hard to talk about alcohol when you can't deal with gluttony or gossip. And it's really hard to talk about purity if you're dealing with pornography. They desperately need a role model who understands what goes on around them, some of the incredible influence that they have to deal with on a regular basis, and how to best walk them through that based on what they've seen in us as parents being able to conquer and deal with. I recognize that every time I go out, I wear a helmet because I know it influences those around me. In Pennsylvania, I have the freedom not to wear it. My, my wife keeps saying, it doesn't matter what Pennsylvania does. This says you'll wear one. I get that. <laughs> but I also understand that so many people know that I ride on a regular basis, and so many people know that, that, that what I do has impact. And so everywhere I go, I wear that. Ephesians chapter 6, I know it's in your sermon notes this morning, verse 4, it says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's reminiscent of one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament 
One that I remember the most out of King James was says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he won't depart from it. The NIV version of that says, start your children off in the way they should go. Start them off right. Train up or to bring up in your sermon notes means to create a thirst. When the Hebrew midwife delivered a baby, she stuck her finger in some grapes and cultivated a thirst for something sweet. It means to direct or to lead. You and I have the responsibility as a family, as parents especially, to give them the right direction, to create a thirst for the beauty of God, the wonder of God in their lives, to provide an environment where they can enjoy life where they really want to grow. You cannot help but look at our facilities and look at our children's wing to know that we wanted to provide an environment where kids will want to come and be there. One of the most enjoyable times for me is to watch kids run to that, especially when they've seen it for the first time. You as a family, you and I both have the opportunity to provide an environment where they can grow and enjoy life and love learning and living and enjoy the relationships that they have within the family structures that God has given you. In the way they should go or according to their way literally means according to their unique characteristics and mannerisms of that child. I love Swindoll. I figured if Swindoll could ride out on the stage, I could too. But I love Swindoll's use of this phrase when he talks so much about parenting and raising children. When he talks very specifically in one or two, I think, at least series that I've heard on parenting about this very specific part, according to their bent, according to their nature. The Amplified Version says, train up a child in the way he should go in keeping with his individual gifts, according to their very unique characteristics. One of our frustrations is that our child may not be like us, and the one who is most like us is usually the one we butt the heads with the most, right? Put with that the fact that if you have two kids, many times they're opposite of one another. How many of you have two children that are opposite of one another? But no matter what they've done, same rules, same regulations. We, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, when we were celebrating my parents' 60th anniversary, as my brother and I began to share life in the past, and it was fascinating. I won't throw him under the bus totally this morning. But it was absolutely fascinating at two kids with the same set of rules, same set of regulations, same set of parents that couldn't have been more different in so many respects. I was student council president. My dad was going to school every other week to try to keep him in school. Every so often, I'd look out, I'd see him walking around the school, my brother that is, walking around the school with a four-by-four, 12 feet long on his shoulder that was punishment from the shop teacher for something that he had done that day. By the end of his sophomore year, it was a toothpick. You and I both know that when we have two children that are very opposite, we need to understand their specific bent. What do they like? What do they enjoy? What helps them the most? Understand who God is, who I am, who our family structure is. Even in the very first family, Adam and Eve with two children had two kids that couldn't have been more different from one another. Abel had a pliable will and loved God. Cain had a stubborn will and loved himself. Who are you going to blame when things go wrong? Other kids in the neighborhood? There are a couple of mistakes that sometimes we make when they're very different. One in your sermon notes is a tendency to raise them the way that we were raised because that's what we know the best. That's what we're familiar with. And that may be wonderful. But we can't limit ourselves under that. We need to understand what it is they face today. What it is they're wrestling with today. How dramatically and drastically the times have changed. Pastor Bill probably does one of the best seminars I've ever heard on the incredible radical changes 
generations have gone through just in our lifetime. And what are some of the things that our kids face today? The second mistake, and I'm sure there are many more, is to compare them with one another. Why can't you be more like, and then we usually pick the one that's most like us. And sadly enough, it's usually not the way to go. Faithful parents produce faithful children. If both parents attend church regularly, over 70% of their children will. If the dad does, over 50% of the children will. If a mom attends regularly, only 15%. And if neither, only 6% of their children will ever attend. Parental influence on church attendance is absolutely huge and critical to the model you set and establish. Number four, simply just learn to deal with a crisis. Learn to deal with a crisis. It's not if they come, it's what? When they come. One of the fascinating things in preparation for next Sunday morning sermon on of, reminders of, seven, or of 9-11 and so many of the things that have gone on in our, our country and even watching some of the video clips of these hurricanes that have gone through and the storms that have taken place is how unbelievable our country is in banding together and sticking together when a crisis comes. We didn't do that well through the generations at times, but we have learned that now. Strong families have great coping skills. They understand how to deal with a crisis. They see something positive out of that. They pull together. They draw on one another's strengths. Every family has them. We all have them. I've got them. You have them. All God's servants going to have them one time or the other. It's knowing how to respond to those individual crises that make a difference. I think it's in your notes that the same word for crisis in the Chinese language is also the same word for opportunity. A family's response to the problem will either make it or break it. Problems do not cause divorce. How we deal with them does. No problem is ever large enough to, in and of itself, cause a divorce. How we deal with it does. And finally, number five for today. Give more encouragement and praise than rules and regulations or frustration, whatever you want to put in there. Again, going back to Ephesians chapter 6, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I think it was Bob that shared with me in a seminar that he was at a while ago, and I think Ray was there as well. Fascinating phrase, and they asked people to answer this question. If I were to ask you today what you wish someone would have told you when you were young, what would it be? If I were to ask you today what you wish someone would have told you when you were younger, what would that be? What do you wish you would have heard someone say to you? Say it now. I wish I would have heard, to be really honest with you, a lot longer than when I waited for it is I'm proud of you. I wish I'd have heard a lot more, I love you. I've said that, and, and I found myself as a parent now saying it almost to the extreme because I wish I would have heard it a lot more often and a lot younger. If you had the opportunity to have said to you what you wish had been said to you when you were young, what would it be? Say it now to the generation that comes behind you to the children that God has blessed you with, to the grandchildren that you now have the opportunity to influence, to the people around you, their mate, the one that God has blessed you with in that relationship. Don't wait for them to say to somebody else, I wish I would have heard this more often, or I wish I would have heard this sooner. 
Say it now. Mother Teresa received the Nobel Prize that's in your notes this morning and asked what she would do to promote world peace, that classic answer that asked, that's asked at every beauty pageant. She just simply said, go home and love your family, which is great advice. Let's pray. Father, a season is coming to an end. Kids are back in school. Things begin to speed up pretty rapidly. Our lives get crazy. Activities are almost a daily event of our routine and, and so many things going on and taking place. As we look back over these last few months and, and we realize what we did or wish we would have done, if we did some things that we know built some real good family memories into our children's lives, I, I trust that you will continue to help us to reinforce those things. And if we didn't, instead of regretting, let's just determine to make some changes. Father, I thank you for the families in this church that I have been able to watch and observe through the years. We're not only the first generation that heard about you and knew who you were, but the second generation and the third and, and the fourth kids who are following after God, who are passionate for God because of what they've seen in their mom or their dad and their grandparents. And a lot of them all over this room this morning. And so, Father, I just ask that you will bless us as moms and dads and grandparents as we influence the next generation that you will help us to do our very best to build so many solid foundational blocks underneath that family structure that they'll be able to make it when the winds of life blow. Years are very rapidly changing some of the things we deal with and certainly some of the things that our, our kids have dealt with. I trust that you will help us to prepare them well for what is ahead and what the future is going to hold. Thank you for the privilege of being a mom and a dad. Thank you for the privilege of being a grandparent and being able to touch these little lives and to see them shaped and molded in wonderful ways. Thanks for what we can do here to do that, but I so ask in the name of Jesus that you'll be with every set of parent and grandparents in this room this morning, that you will give them wisdom and discernment and wonderful experiences with those who come behind. And we'll see children who are in the second, third, fourth generation who love God and following after him. Bless, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Have a great, great day. Don't tell the next service about this. We want this to be a surprise as well. <laughs> next Sunday morning, honoring those who serve. And if you can help us out with that, we would appreciate that. God bless you. Have a great, great Labor Day weekend. Be careful and be safe.